When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Real Birth Podcast, the show where real parents share real birth stories and get really honest about how it went. You might be a first-time expectant parent, or on your eighth baby. Perhaps you're a birth worker, or maybe you just love learning about birth. Whoever you are, you are welcome here. This podcast aims to educate and empower listeners through the real stories of mums and dads. I'm Lucy Hill. I'm a doula, a mum of a toddler, and a complete birth nerd. Join me as I invite all kinds of parents to share their stories of pregnancy, birth and beyond. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. This series is sponsored by our friends at Bridgehouse Pilates. If you're pregnant, planning to conceive or have recently had a baby, then you need to know about Megan and her incredible courses. In fact, as part of our partnership, Bridgehouse Pilates is offering an exclusive 20% discount off their online on-demand postnatal Pilates course. The programme can be fit around your busy life as a new parent and is the ideal way to gently restore your core fitness and take a bit of time for both your mind and body. Find out more by visiting my social media. I'm at Real Birth Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and you'll find all the links you need to take part in this exclusive discount. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Real Birth Podcast. I'm suffering a bit of a cold today, so um, uh, apologies for the way I sound at the moment. Um, Luckily, this interview was recorded a little while ago, so I sound a lot better in the interview than I do today. This week, my guest is Alice, who actually lives around the corner from me. So um, today's episode, we met in person and we recorded in my kitchen and had a cup of tea and it was just lovely. Alice talks about the birth of her two daughters, both of which were impacted by a diagnosis of borderline gestational diabetes and her high BMI was taken into consideration with that as well. However, Alice tackled this GD diagnosis very differently in her second daughter's pregnancy to her first, which I found really interesting. Alice also shares her story of grief and loss. In between her two daughters, she became pregnant with conjoined twins, who sadly would not have been able to survive. So Alice and I do have a chat about having a termination for medical reasons and some of the issues surrounding how parents are cared for in these kind of devastating moments. Alice has such a wealth of knowledge and experience to share, and I really hope you find her stories as inspiring as I do. Here she is to tell them. Welcome to the podcast, Alice. It's really lovely to have you with me, especially in the kitchen having a cup of tea, which is the best way to do things. Um, Before we talk about your birth experiences, do you want to just share a little bit about who you are, who's in your family, and anything else you want to share? Yeah. Um, I've got two children. Rosa is nearly seven, and Anna is three and a bit. And we live here in Froome with my husband, Mark. Mark's from Spain. And we run a deli in town. And I also um, do all sorts of other stuff. (laughs) Some family support work. And I help run Baby Connections. And 
I've actually just got a new job with Free Birth Talk. Hooray! <laughs> yeah. yeah, so lots of um, family and children um, support in the local area, so that's yeah. really lovely. And I know that we're going to talk about Honours Birth today, as that was your most recent experience, so just over three years ago. Um, I think we first met when we were both pregnant, actually. Yes. Yeah. But obviously we can have think about your other experiences that led up to Honours Birth. So in terms of pregnancy and childbirth as a concept in your life is that something that you had thought about a lot or did it just happen or how did that process start for you in terms of having a family so with rosa i basically was like 29 and i was like right need to get on with this i've got a partner (laughs) we should start trying and bam i was pregnant wow um yep he was unemployed and i was on a low wage so it was like quite a big thing And all of my career, I've worked with young children, mainly babies. So I had quite a lot of ideas about how to parent, but I hadn't really thought about birth or pregnancy. Okay. So (laughs) when you became pregnant with Rosa, what were your plans for that birth? And briefly, how did that go? My plans for birth with Rosa were basically that I wanted to be in a midwife-led situation Mm -hmm. so I opted we lived in Bristol at the time I opted for the um, midwife unit at St Michael's so what informed that was actually that I was there for my sisters um, when my sister gave birth to my nephew 10 years before my pregnancy and she had given birth in hospital in Australia and everything had been she'd been in a pool lovely lights lovely music and a doctor had come around and said oh feels like you've been here for a long time and if you're going to need anything extra I'm actually going off shift soon so what do you think and suddenly bright lights lots of medical professionals um she ended up having an episiotomy and a really bad tear and I think that scared me and made me a little bit averse to hospital birth yeah so you chose the midwife led unit and were you able to birth there with rosa the pregnancy had a few complications actually i say it had complications it didn't it didn't physically have complications it had emotional complications because of our maternity system Mm. so my first my booking an appointment I was um, classified as high risk because of my BMI and I was advised to go to a dietitian so I was weighed during all of those appointments she was actually really nice and she didn't put any pressure on me to lose weight but I did have to keep um, a diary of everything I ate which was really hard I've kind of struggled with trying to stay the perceived correct BMI for Mm. my whole life and I was in quite a I was in a plateau I wasn't worrying too much about my weight um and I was in quite a kind of it was all quite safe Mm. and then suddenly pregnant being weighed all the time yeah it it wasn't good for me at all that affect your mental health then going through your pregnancy um it did but at the time I didn't recognize that and I also didn't recognize how negative the situation was I just saw it as this is my fault I'm fat I need to control it and this is what I have to do to control it Mm -hmm. and then I had my GTT and that came back borderline okay so 
with that so that the glucose tolerance test did you have to drink a really hideous Mm -hmm. sugary drink and try not to be sick and see what the results were okay yeah and that was borderline oh that's that was borderline (laughs) oh there's quite a lot to go into it so that was borderline and i took it upon myself to then research what i could do to make it okay so I went down the route of what I now recognise as very disordered eating. So I cut out carbs, I would eat and then exercise, I would constantly trying to earn food. It was all it was not very good. Yeah. And then I had to do my second GT GTT and that came back again as borderline. So they said, Oh, we'll just leave it for now. So I was allowed to go to St Michael's that at at the time I would probably have identified as being quite empowered quite in control of the situation Mm. you know I had got my way but there was so much anxiety around it all of trying to stay in control and worry about um, are they gonna have to do this or are they gonna have to do that or am I allowed to do this so I felt very much not in control actually mm, it's like in at the mercy of somebody saying yeah i'll let you do that because exactly. of this 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 yeah. i think a good way to describe it is that i was jumping through hoops in order to satisfy conditions that i hadn't created yeah so yeah, yeah. so it was quite hard but at the time i wouldn't have felt that it's more looking back on it mm-hmm and then <laughs> there was another big allow because i my waters broke before i had um, went into labour. Okay. And at the time, the hospital had just introduced a policy where if they did a cervical examination, they would induce you if you hadn't gone into labour within six hours. That is not very much time. No, they took it away really quickly. So that policy was only in place for a very short amount of time. Okay. So that basically, so I went into labour and then they were like, well, we'd like to do an exact... So I should probably add that with Rosa, I didn't do any antenatal education apart from the one that was offered for free, which was like 40 people and it was like a whistle-stop tour and lots of information I now know was just incorrect. Okay. And interestingly with that as well, the last session was on family support and because I worked in a children's centre, the person leading it just said, Alice would you like to talk about about your job and what you offer in the area which is totally inappropriate yeah it's not your place to do that (laughs) with rosa we got to i can't remember all of the ins and outs of it but anyway i was like they're not going anywhere near my cervix Mm -hmm. um i do not want to be induced i do not i just got really like no to everything like the midwife kept oh can we no and I was just totally like I was on a um I had my head on my hands on this um windowsill and I just stayed there for a long time yeah so labor did start naturally so labor did start naturally um Rosa was born I think she was born 24 hours after my waters broke okay just before I got to the pushing stage they were like oh we're, near, we're just in a 24-hour window you might have to go downstairs anyway I can't really remember the midwife I basically didn't want her in a room mm. and I just got on with it didn't know what was happening um but she was born yeah without any intervention but I wouldn't say it was kind of like a it wasn't blissful at all mm-hmm. there was a lot of fear yeah 
um yeah but it sounds like you kind of did what you could in the face of that to, to yeah. keep it the way you needed it to be rather than yeah. yeah and that's a bit like Rosa is like Rosa's <laughs> very like I'm gonna do this my way and like yeah this is this is how it's gonna be and maybe you know she helped me with that attitude yeah. bit of stubbornness <laughs> coming through there <laughs> yeah oh. after Rosa was born how long was it before you fell pregnant again so um I had another pregnancy about two years yeah two years after Rosa was born um so then I was um pregnant with conjoined twins which is very very unusual um do you know how unusual that is and I have read the statistics but I can't remember but it's more unusual than triplets for example right gosh um, and obviously twins can be conjoined in different ways so mine um, shared all of their ma- major organs so that's like the rarest mm. or I think it is actually I know it's the most difficult to deal with yeah yeah um so yeah um and they 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 were called the peanuts and they're buried under our apple tree in the garden mm. um but obviously that was a really hard experience and I found out they were conjoined when I was in hospital at a scan and I had the pregnancy terminated in hospital so mm. um yeah were you at the 12 week point when you found that out yes gosh that's really hard yeah, yeah. and then I th- um I think they were terminated at 15 weeks so I had to go to see specialists in Bristol back at St Michael's where I had Rosa yeah and Um, I imagine that's not something they're seeing every day no I think he had seen three and he was the consultant that covered I think he said down to Cornwall and up to somewhere a massive area um, and he had been practicing for 25 years, I think. So. That must, yeah, have been a really difficult experience and also have tied in some, what's the word I'm looking for? Some kind of associations with the hospital and the medical experience. Yeah. Then. And again, some negative experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the first thing that the midwife, not the sonographer, the first thing the midwife said to me was, Mother Nature sometimes makes mistakes, which that totally goes against my belief system and yeah that was that was horrible yeah and then there's things like I mean this could be a whole episode in itself so it, but but the <laughs> bonus, way this bonus content coming soon yeah. um you have for those who have had a termination at the RUH or a miscarriage you after after you've been to the um the day assessment unit you enter and exit through those waiting for scans so I had to carry my babies past expectant parents, which, yeah, I mean, that's a massive, massive fail yeah, on their it part. Is. It's huge, yeah. And, yeah, I, I, I remember that as well, being past, yeah, the wrong group of people. And also, it's like nobody bene- nobody wins there. Like, the, the bereaved parent, obviously it's horrific for them, but also people that are sat there who maybe are aware that that's what those people are coming out of that room for you know it doesn't nobody's experiences you know made any better for that being the situation so I hope that one day in the future we can be a bit more aware of that but I guess it's all down to funding <laughs> I, I've given my feedback oh, numerous bet. times in numerous ways so yeah. um yeah 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 <laughs> 
Um, and did you find that the care you received during that experience was positive, negative? Did it not, apart from obviously the midwife you mentioned who threw in a... It was so mixed. Yeah. The, um, the nurse that was there on the day was amazing. I think she had been in her role for God knows how many years, but she was just, she was lovely. Mm. Um, I remember when I came round after surgery, she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. She was like, I um, I know you wanted the cheese and ham sandwich, but we've only got cheese. <laughs> she was really great she was lovely I, um, I wrote her thank you card actually um, and I had a bereavement midwife call me twice okay which I was quite surprised at the time and they're like oh oh this is positive but mm. talking to someone on the phone that you've never met before is not really the one mm. like I couldn't open up or, you know, and then like, oh, we're there for you, which was nice. It's a start, but it's not great. Yeah. And the health visitors weren't informed. So I had some letters from the health visitors about antenatal appointments and antenatal visits. Oh, that's really bad. And when I went to book in for Honours birth, they said, oh, you've just, you've only just given birth. And I was like, how no, is that? No, I haven't. <laughs> how does that fall through okay yeah so so (laughs) I imagine that wasn't that was something that took a little bit of time to move to move kind of through before you decided to try for another pregnancy yes yes but I fell I don't like the word fell pregnant I became pregnant with honor on my husband's birthday and also um the due date of the peanuts they were due the wow. same day as my husband's birthday or the day before so yeah I became pregnant that day and then honor was due on the birthday of my um deceased best friend wow so she was actually born two days earlier but when I went for the scan and they said she's due 31st of July I was like that feels really um amazing so yeah yeah <laughs> And so going into the pregnancy with honour, you've obviously had a lot more experiences than your first um, experience. What were your plans and did you start to kind of formulate an idea of what you could do much earlier? Yes. And did that inspire you to do some more antenatal education and things like that? Yeah. So I think probably the second person I told after Mark was um, my friend who's a doula um so it was like yeah. having a doula <laughs> that yeah. was like that was probably one of the first decisions mm. I was like I'm not I don't want to go to hospital um I don't want to be weighed throughout pregnancy so yeah it kind of yeah there was quite a lot of don'ts yeah but in quite an empowered way like it wasn't just I don't know actually I was gonna say it wasn't just fear but maybe a, maybe fear did inform it as well but anyway yeah I felt quite sure of what I wanted. Mm. And were you able to like draw upon like if you had a friend who I imagine had seen all sorts of different kinds of birth experiences, were you able to sort of draw on her knowledge if you didn't know about something you could say or do you know much about the stats with this or that kind of thing or were you doing your own research? I did quite a lot of research into things that I knew could crop up. So I wanted a home birth and I knew that apparently 
babies born to women with gestational diabetes are more likely to be big and there's more likely to be shoulder is it dystocia dystocia so we did quite a lot of research into that and basically was like I don't think for me that didn't seem like a massive risk Um, and I did some research into things like how long it took to get to hospital should there be a problem and I went to antenatal classes but I just feel like since so before I had Rosa I was an early years practitioner and then after I had her I worked basically um voluntarily and paid work but all with women who had just had babies so I kind of just had absorbed so much yeah yeah you sort of anecdotally hear don't you what everyone else has experienced and it, it does inform what you end up thinking about um so you I imagine so by this point you had moved and you were in Froome yeah that's right were you under the care of the you went straight to the midwifery led unit and how were you supported with your home birth plans so the midwifery unit in Froome um so my first appointment I said that I'm not going to be weighed during this pregnancy and I said and I'm not going to have um the GTT and my midwife supported me with those things there was a few ups and downs so after one appointment I had said I'm not having additional scans and then she was on annual leave and somebody else put me through for an appointment for a scan which was yeah that felt horrible but then when she was back off annual leave I realised that she that wasn't her doing. Okay. That was an administrative error. Generally, did you find that it was a sort of well-supported positive pregnancy? Yeah, it was more complicated than that. So I went in saying I'm not going to be weighed, but then at some, at some of my antenatal appointments, it was different midwives. So they'd like bring up my notes and be like, oh, oh, you haven't been weighed yet. Um, so yeah, there was a little, a little bit of pressure around that. And then... Although my midwife was supportive with my decision around the GTT, it was kind of like, I know that this is your choice, but I'm not that comfortable with it. So I actually saw um, an independent midwife to discuss that with her. And she was amazing. And she, the key thing that she said to me was you need to separate out your fear of giving birth in hospital and the likelihood that you could have gestational diabetes and you need to tackle those things separately and she was like you're more likely to have a home birth and for it to be well supported if you can basically prove that you don't have gestational diabetes and that is also not going to harm you Mm. to do that I should to go back to Rosa's birth so there obviously I was borderline gestational diabetes with Rosa and she was she was 3.3 kilograms when she was born that's quite dinky isn't yeah, it which yeah which is like uh, i think 25th centile and there was no complications or anything so i believe that i didn't have gestational diabetes and then when i had been diagnosed borderline my midwife had said to me because you want to go to st michael's it's okay had you been under the care of another hospital I can't remember which hospital but had you been under the care of another hospital those numbers would say that you did have gestational diabetes so when I was pregnant with honor I wanted to find out the what, threshold what the threshold was locally 
Um, and it was different to what it had been when I was pregnant with Rosa. Mm. So I felt that it was really likely that I would be diagnosed, even though I don't believe I had it with mm. Rosa. Yeah, I did hear that there was a... They have shifted the numbers about a bit. So now it's much, much more likely that you will be diagnosed. Mm. And also when you're looking at gestational diabetes versus kind of non-gestational diabetes, you, you wouldn't worry about those numbers in any other situation. Mm. Um, so it can just be a bit of a tricky line. So you found out what the numbers were. and Yeah, yeah. and I thought, oh, I'm going to be diagnosed with it here. Um, and also I'm older and I weigh more so I'm more likely to get it you're more likely to get it in a a second Mm. pregnancy so I was like I don't want I didn't want the test and also I read up a lot about the test and a test is like most people wouldn't be able to cope with starving themselves and having high sugar like it's not it's not a very accurate test at all so I didn't want the test so basically what I came up with was home monitoring so I will admit that when I first took my levels, they were much higher than the midwife would want to see. Okay. So I changed my diet, not in the same way that I had with Rosa. So it was more about, I didn't just like ban carbs. It like, I ate carbs with protein. Mm-hmm. I, and I basically just had a couple of weeks of playing around and seeing how I could get my levels to where they would want them to be. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I found really beneficial was practicing yoga and having a good night's sleep. Yeah, which that is, doesn't surprise me. <laughs> which is not mentioned in any NHS or any, you know, any of these um, help groups or anything. It doesn't say it's all diet related and exercise related. But yeah, I believe that stress has a massive um well, stress stress affects how every like bodily function works like mm-hmm. we know that you can get like nausea and headaches from stress we know that you can get like constipation from stress so mm. why would your blood sugars not react in the same way it's all connected mm. so you were able to focus on your health in mm. that sense from a kind of am i well rested am i well cared for and you could take your levels at home yeah which was still relatively I did I did go through a stage of like I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna have a test I'm not gonna take my levels I'm not gonna do any of it mm. but then I was like but I'm gonna have that constantly at the back of my mind where I was like if I do it this way at least you know I'm kind of like playing a game if you will mm. and I mean in the back of your mind as well if you had been diagnosed and if you were did you then have a kind of well I'm I know what I'm going to do then or was it just wait and see it was a wait and see I mean it is possible to have a home birth um, with gestational diabetes but it's not encouraged Mm -hmm. if you yeah um so yeah so I I I got my levels to where they should be and then I started giving them to the midwife okay (laughs) (laughs) I think that's fair enough yeah you've been given a chance to you know work out what works for you yeah fine okay so then they were they were satisfied were they yeah so every appointment I would go in with a list of you know I can't remember which ones I I think I had to do them when I woke up and after eating yeah um and yeah they were they were satisfied that they were okay as I mentioned earlier I was offered um some additional scans later in pregnancy 
which I didn't want. Yeah. Was that just to check the size of baby? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> we know those can often be wildly inaccurate anyway, so... Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what uh, did the start of labour look like for you, and did it happen on its own? Yeah, so um, with honour... I had a lot more niggles and like, oh, is this, am I going into labour than I had done with Rosa? I think I was just su- in a such a different place and a lot more in tune with my body. Mm. Um, but it really started kind of slowly building up when I was at my friend's house. So she has this beautiful house with a massive garden in the middle of nowhere, basically. And I've got a lot of happy memories there. I spent a lot of time there as a teenager. I actually had my heaven party there. And she had this um, party with a bouncy castle. And I, yeah, when I was there, I remember hugging my friend and I must have had like a rush of oxytocin or something. I was like, ooh. (laughs) But I was really calm about it. And people were going to me, oh, when are you due? And I was like, a few days, but I'm not sure I'll make it. Um, But then when I got home that evening, everything kind of slowed down again. And I was like, okay maybe that's you know maybe that's not it so then I slept and the next day I went to my parents house and I walked up a very steep path and when I got back to the house I had lost my mucus plug and then things started again and then they slowed down again um but I was like yeah we're we're getting somewhere and that evening I went and collected lots of flowers from the garden um and really made sure the house was nice and clean, everything was set up, and I was fairly sure that she was imminently arriving. Mm. She was really active, so she was kicking me lots. And then that night, I went, set her down to go to sleep, and she kicked really hard, and I lost my waters. And then I went straight on into, like, a lot of contractions in a very short space of time okay so yeah that was a definite okay now it's happening yeah which I had kind of planned in my head because it was night time I had thought okay if Rosa and Mark are asleep I'm going to enjoy the beginning of labor by myself and I had a plan that I was probably gonna light a fire even if it was summer I don't know why I had this idea that I wanted to have a fire cozy um, yeah <laughs> but I just didn't I was just like I need to wake up Mark this is happening yeah. Um, rung my doula rung the um, birth centre and they were like right yeah it, we're coming round there's only one of us here but someone needs to be there because it's gonna mm-hmm. things are kicking off literally midwife got there and doulas got there so I had I kind of had a team of doulas so I had um, shared care so one of my doulas was away on holiday so I had um one doula but I also had a birth photographer who was also a doula so I had two doulas there one on the phone (laughs) um and then Rosa was asleep um Mark and one of the midwives and then got the birth pool ready went downstairs and then she was like yeah the midwife just I don't even think she was in the room her shift ended she left two more midwives came and again, they were like, this baby's about to come. She was like, just to remind you, she was like, you probably won't need to push too much because this is your second birth. And, okay. and you know, it sounds like she's coming and da-da-da-da-da. 
And is that from like your body language and the intensity of yeah. what, like, what you were experiencing? Yeah, it was... Re- so with Rosa, you know, I said I was like really stubborn. I had my head in my hands. I did not talk or like apart from no... Um, I didn't say anything almost for mm. 24 hours apart from just before she came um, during a transition. So, but with Honor, I was really vocal. I was making a lot of noises. Um, okay. And yeah, I could really feel her kind of like bearing down. I really feel, yeah. yeah she, I, was, she, she was there. She was there. And then everything just kind of stopped. Not stopped, but the intensity was a lot less. Okay. So you were still experiencing like regular contractions. It just wasn't. They were just got milder, and it wasn't like forward. It's hard to explain, but it's almost like there's a forward trajectory. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you're not like moving forward. And and was that something that you just like intuitively felt and knew like this isn't moving forwards? It was the same with Rosa. So with Rosa, it wasn't like it wasn't a linear progress where the contractions just got closer together and more intense Mm. it was like very back and forward um so yeah so it wasn't that wasn't like an unfamiliar feeling for me but it had but what was unfamiliar was it had seemed so intense that I thought she was going to be born any minute and then suddenly so I was I was disappointed yeah because I was like what's going on I wasn't scared but I was disappointed um and basically it was getting towards daylight and I was really conscious that Rosa was upstairs. So I was like, that's what it is. I need someone to have taken Rosa so I can get yeah. on with it. So my mum came round and I think Mark like dangled biscuits in front of her to like get her out of the house. And she went to my mum's house at like five in the morning wow. full of biscuits. <laughs> um, and so then I thought, right, this is it. It's all going to start again. And it, and it didn't really. Mm. Um, and then disappointingly... One of the midwives said, we'd like to do a cervical examination. I had written in my notes I did not want to be offered a cervical examination. Okay. My doula was actually really good at stopping them from asking me. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had like a little bit of discussion around it. I can't even remember now if it was the midwife or my doula who asked me like in a... But there was a little bit... She, she was sort of guarded me a little bit there. Mm. And I was like... I think I said no initially... And then I was like, okay, yeah, stuff's really stopped now. Yeah. I want to know what's going on. Mm. So they did a cervical examination and said they didn't think my waters had gone, which I was really surprised about because it had felt like a massive gush. Then they went off. Um, it was the end of our shift. Okay. <laughs> so then I had the second lot of midwives um, and they were, I'd say, a bit more chilled out. Mm. They okay. just like, yeah don't worry just let it take its time we'll go and have some snacks next door yeah. do what you want so there was a bit of like walking like a crab up the stairs walking around the garden massage from my doula mm. and stuff like that um and then I was like I want to know what's going on can you break my waters mm. and it looked and she said your waters have gone and she's like but basically Honor had been coming at the wrong angle and it had caused her head to swell it was like she just had like a swollen section where her head had been hitting my cervix but not being able to get through okay so like in her picture she's got like a cone head but it's got a kind of lump like you can see one side yeah so anyway so then she was like with you know 
really in a situation we want to transfer you to hospital so I hadn't really talked about so the atmosphere was lovely in the house like I had my pool I had my affirmations I had really good music it was really joyful there was lots of giggling Mm. and then basically when they said they wanted to transfer me I just sort of gave up a little bit Mm. like when the ambulance arrived I was like they were like can you walk to the ambulance and I knew that I could but I was just like no want to go in a chair and um I got an ambulance and they offered me gas and air which I had never had I didn't have that with Rosa and I hadn't had it up until then and I was like yeah like I just yeah "Yeah, whatever give it to me um so yeah Mm. it was a bit disappointing and have they talked to you about what um what the next step might be or what your options were if she was I don't know if the term the term I've heard a few times is asynclitic where it's like they're there with their head down but they're like not quite you know um did they have like an option of what they were going to offer you or or was it just they will transfer you and then you can talk to someone when you get there I think it was that they said we'll transfer you and we'll talk to someone I can't really remember Mm. but it wasn't like it wasn't like this is the plan and I just remember saying like I do not want to be induced. I would. I want a C-section. And they were like, well, let's wait and talk to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so the transfer to hospital was not very nice. But I do remember at one point seeing out of the window an oak tree. And I had done quite a lot of um, meditation using imagery of an oak tree. So that was nice. Yeah. And that kind of... Because obviously the oak tree is just magnificent. The roots go deep and it's solid and predictable and it reaches high into the sky and that kind of imagery was quite useful for me and I was glad that that oak tree was there for me at that point because it made me tune in a little bit more to like okay this you know I can do this yourself a bit yeah uh we got to the hospital I got checked I mean I lay on the bed with all of the monitoring gear which I really didn't want but I just didn't have it in me at that point to say I don't want this I was just I imagine if you mentioned that you'd had a midwife shift as well so I imagine we're talking over 12 hours here yeah so I started labor at 11 p.m and this was about midday okay yeah um so not only was it long but it was all through the night and I hadn't rested at all yeah so I was tired um, and they checked and by that time so when I got to hospital my contractions had stopped totally wow okay yeah. um, it is absolutely amazing that your body can do that though isn't yeah. it it can go from absolutely full blown this is labour to just stopping it's yeah. like what a defence mechanism like I mean yeah. it's not helpful when you don't want that to happen <laughs> but it does make you go flipping out like the fact that your body can do that so like, what, what wizardry is this yeah so so the doctor checked me and she said we'd like which I knew she was going to we'd like you to have a little bit of rest and then um induce you although I don't know if it's called inducing at that point but anyway so they wanted me to have something that was going to make me go to sleep for a bit and something that was gonna give you contractions again give me contractions and I for some reason had always felt that I wanted to have a 
birth with no intervention or a c-section and anything in between was just not for me Mm. i think it's to do with the control aspect Mm. of that and i just knew i had heard so many birth stories of people who had been induced and it had ended in c-section and it had just been such a long and arduous process and i just thought if we're gonna go there i just want to go straight there Mm. um so i rung my other doula and we had a chat a cry together mm. and she was just like yeah I think you know you'd have to tune into what you think's best so the um doctor was sort of she wasn't she wasn't too she, she obviously did, that wasn't her plan that was mm. my plan but she wasn't gonna put up a fight about it okay so that was good anaesthetist came did all of the questions um anaesthetist left anaesthetist came back and said just to double check, when was it you ate that biscuit? And I was like, um, about two hours ago, and it was about half a biscuit. And he yeah. said, that might have been half a biscuit too many. <laughs> um, <laughs> and explained to me, like, oh, I don't even know. Was it the risks of having something in your stomach, basically, yeah. while you and I was just like, well, what do you do in an emergency? And he was like, well, this isn't an emergency. It's just like, for God's sake. And I, that at that point, I started thinking, they're trying, they don't want me to have this C-section. Yeah. Um, so anyway so off he went and then someone came in and said really sorry but there's been an emergency so the anaesthetist has gone somewhere else and I was like okay cool whatever Mm. and then they came back again sorry but there's been another emergency so the anaesthetist isn't gonna come and at this point were you in you weren't actually in pain in terms of needing so I can't remember exactly how it happened but I think it was the second time then I suddenly was like started having contractions again but I almost didn't recognize them in the same way that I had so it wasn't like oh this is a contraction things are getting going I'm closer to meeting my baby Mm. it was more like am I allowed to swear yes (laughs) it was more like fuck them they've just left me here and I'm in loads of pain and And they do not care uncomfortable yeah I'm really uncomfortable lying on this bed and they're just dilly-dallying around um obviously I had empathy for the emergencies but I was just like yeah part of me was just thinking are they doing this on purpose yeah and you know and also that like and here I am in the hospital where I didn't want to be with all of these bad associations I yeah. just want to leave I just want to see sex and I want to get out and of it's here. almost like if you're lying there and no one's paying you attention you might as well be at home yeah I was just like god's sake but there was obviously other stuff like so they they gave me a catheter they gave me some fluids and stuff like that Mm. so we don't know if those things what sort of impact they had or if it was like more of an emotional thing Mm. but anyway things started getting going again and I was in a lot of pain so with my birth with Rosa I can't really I had a really scary transition where I shook all over but I don't really associate I don't have memories of pain mm-hmm. but I suddenly was in a lot of pain and then another anaesthetist came in who had been called from somewhere else and he he just came in and was like I don't think you're gonna need me mm. and I was just like what is he talking about and then Almost suddenly like, I'm not gonna give you this yeah and then <laughs> and then I was just like I need some pain relief get me some pain relief and they were like there's nothing that we can really offer you at this point and I just didn't really understand what was going on I just felt quite I don't know it was a really weird like separation from Mm. everyone and from the room and everything um I don't know if that was the gas or if it was I think it was just loads of different stuff Mm. I was just 
exhaustion too (laughs) yeah exhausted I was just like in my own headspace um and then so they gave me some oromorph okay and basically I can't remember like the exact sequence of everything it was around that same time that the doulas I remember them looking down and looking at each other and I was like what are you looking at yeah I was like (laughs) and then the oromorph I don't know if it was oromorph or because I know it can make you hallucinate but it was really really trippy so I had like an out-of-body experience where I was like above myself but I was with my twins on a beach in India which is really weird because when I had had the termination that's also where I had been I was on a beach in India with them I was on a beach in India with the twins and Rosa and my new baby and um and then I had my 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 best friend the deceased best friend she was there and she always used to go come on mate and she was like come on mate come on mate and then at the same time there was like all of a resuscitation stuff being wheeled in and there was a part of me going I don't know where that came from but I was like she's dead Honor's dead and they want me to birth her naturally but they haven't told me and that's why they wouldn't give me the c-section I had all of these like horrible things going on in my brain um but then at the same time I had these really beautiful things going on and then when my friend said come on mate you can do this I remember trying to reach down to feel honor and I I'm told that I basically was just like writhing around with my arms and they had to like hold my arms back because they didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Um, I knew what I was doing, but anyway. <laughs> um, and then I landed in my body and it was literally a thud. And at the same time as I thudded, she came out. It was really, it was a lot. <laughs> that is a lot of stuff to process yeah. in, in a short space of time. Um and was anybody sort of expecting so they were at that point thinking oh well she's coming naturally yeah Yeah. and was it just like but to you I imagine it was a bit like oh my oh I was still just like they're doing this on purpose yeah I don't know there was so many there were so many things going on in my head my husband was great he was just like holding my hand and my doula was holding my hand saying we're here with you which I just to this day is like the most powerful phrase you can say to anyone we're here with you it's just brilliant and then it felt like her head started to come and then she just shot out yeah um I'm not sure if that's how it was but that's definitely how it felt I do remember at one point I was asked to push and I was just like no um and I think that's when her head had just started but I just didn't feel the urge and then when I did I think I think she shot out wow (laughs) and then she was there and then did she come like straight to you yeah I mean it was just really overwhelming so yeah Yeah. then um and everyone was in like the surgery gear and stuff it was just and then suddenly she was there yeah and she just came straight to me I put her almost straight away on the boob yeah and just amazing yeah Yeah, I've never had Oromorph so I I can't attest to um its effects but it's almost like in that moment like you couldn't have written or orchestrated that place where your brain just went like it just did Mm. it and I just think that's so amazing like Mm. so powerful that you're whatever it was that happened it just took you there without you Mm. having to do anything Mm. see I don't know how oromorph works but it felt like it kicked in if it was that it kicked in instantly but as soon as Honor was born there wasn't I wasn't tripping I was like totally 
back down to earth and so i don't know well that's that's good I'm yeah glad that you weren't tripping like thinking <laughs> and then 10 no. minutes later oh there's a baby there no and that was a real contrast as well because when rosa was born obviously on paper the birth went you know they say a straightforward vaginal birth mm. which i don't think any birth is straightforward anyway so that was all straightforward but then when she was born i had these i was just like who is that and what do I do with it yeah like it was really not it was really unpleasant I was sick all over her and then I was just like I need to get in a shower and mm-hmm. yeah it was it wasn't very nice but and I didn't have that moment of looking at my baby and falling in love I was just like what the hell is going on yeah um but with honor it's like everything when she came out everything slowed down and I had that moment of looking at her and falling in love mm, that's so lovely yeah because I know people talk a lot about how you know we can't expect that to happen so we don't expect it to happen but it is so nice that it does and it can <laughs> yeah you know it's like just yeah. because a lot of people don't experience it doesn't mean that it can't and when it does it must you know that's just well that's the dream isn't it yeah and she was just exactly as I imagined her just yeah I don't know just and had you known that she was going to be a girl yeah yeah. I did know that yeah yeah Yeah. and we called her so honor is a um, Catalan name and it means sea so um my husband's hometown is by the sea and his life is basically has always been about the sea he loves the sea and so do I so that's why we chose the name honor yeah it's lovely (laughs) how was that time then after she was born how long did you have to stay in the hospital and were you desperate to go home um I wanted to stay in I had to stay in because I had the catheter and I had to do do I have to do a wee before I left yeah I think they like you to have weed a certain amount of stuff I can't remember um so and it was I can't remember what time of day it was when she was actually I think it was like afternoon when she was born I feel like I should know that anyway I stayed in one night I mean I don't like being I don't think anyone does anyone like being in hospital I didn't enjoy it no noisy noisy beepy yeah told off for having her for fell asleep with her on me um yeah yeah (laughs) yeah not cool (laughs) um but it sounds like yeah you didn't have to stay too long no I just stayed one night um I was desperate for Rosa to meet her so Rosa came in and met her after she'd finished nursery and then we all went home together oh that's nice yeah yeah um yeah and it was just really well support like um you know I had two doulas coming to visit me at home Mm. I had prepared um for what I would need and Mark just I can't he had quite a lot of time off as I remember Mm. and he and it was summer so him and Rosa just went on so many adventures together he went bike they just yeah he was just like right I'm just gonna yeah yeah so many treats yeah I mean Honor just bonded really um my postnatal experience with Rosa I had postnatal anxiety really severely um and it was I was really let down by um, medical professionals Mm. and this was just totally different it was like really chilled I had a few issues around feeding she had a tongue tie okay um but that was snipped and then I saw a 
cranial osteopath. Okay. Um, so because of the way she... So they said she corkscrewed out. So she wasn't... She basically... From where the midwife saw her to then when I got to hospital, she was in a different position. And they said she was taking the long way out. Okay. So instead of just turning whatever, she turned... Anti-clockwise or clockwise. She... Yeah, she turned the other way. Um, so yeah, they called it a corkscrew, which is why the pain was so bad. Because she was, yeah, she was literally corkscrewing out of me. But yeah, so her, and where she had been, her head had been hitting my cervix at the wrong angle. She had this like swollen head. Mm. So, and that was affecting her latch as well. But I just had loads of support with it. My doula came to see me a lot. It's really good to hear. Yeah. And yeah. I knew, I, you know, I was a breastfeeding peer supporter by that point, I think. Or I'd worked a lot with breastfeeding women anyway. So I knew. Yeah. I knew what to do. <laughs> yeah. That's really, really good to hear. Before we finish, firstly, thank you for sharing all your pregnancies because <laughs> I know that, you know, they're all really personal and all really different. So um, we appreciate that. If you had to give a piece of advice to somebody who was about to embark upon pregnancy and birth, mm. is there anything that you would tell somebody or maybe something that would have helped you in those early, early moments? Find the support that suits you. Mm. Um, which I know I'm privileged and I could afford a doula but it wouldn't necessarily have to be a doula just you know tune into what you need and be mindful that you are in charge of your mm. choices yeah I think yours is a, a really good example of knowing what you can control and what you can say yes or no to yeah I mean I think it's it's for me it's interesting that Rose's Rose's birth on paper went exactly to plan and I felt terrible afterwards Mm. and honours was not what I wanted at all in fact I had her in a place that was full of fear but I've got a real strong sense that that's somehow where I was meant to be Mm. and I felt really well supported and um, yeah just totally different experience so given that your ideal birth situation didn't go to plan Mm. did you have any moments where that was quite difficult to process afterwards or did it always feel like that was just the path it took and I'm okay with that I think I've got I think I've got a strong sense of not trying to categorize um positive Mm. and negative experiences and just trying to see things as I don't know how to word it properly I'm not saying that there's like a plan for all of us but I do think that there's something greater than us that influences the way things go. And I learned a lot about having honour in hospital because it was a place that I really feared. And then I had her there and that was a really difficult but beautiful experience. Mm. So there's something there about the things that you fear the most mm. on always the worst things <laughs> yeah and the lessons you can take from those yeah. experiences that you didn't that you wouldn't have put yourself in voluntarily yeah but actually you come out of them with more information than you went in with yeah so well thank you again for sharing your stories and um yeah we really appreciate it and yeah it's just really lovely to hear about all your all your babies oh thank you <laughs> Thank you so much again, Alice. I really love this episode for a couple of reasons. Firstly, just how incredible Alice's deep trust is in herself, her mind, her body, 
and how she really opened herself up to experience all the things, especially in those out-of-body moments she described, which were both beautiful and terrible all at once. And I think we can really take a lot from Alice's attitude to not categorising and defining our experiences as positive or negative and kind of accepting them for being a wealth of all different kinds of emotions altogether. I also think Alice is a great example of how advocacy can be incredibly powerful. If you don't want to do something, then you don't have to. From declining being weighed to taking her GD testing into her own hands, Alice was able to be in control of her experience to a greater extent and protect herself. She was doing what she needed to do to have as positive an experience as possible and I think we can all be inspired by that. If you were inspired by Alice or if you know somebody who would find this episode really valuable, please do share it. I am on Instagram and Facebook under at Real Birth Podcast um, and you can share that with your friends and that would be highly appreciated. Thank you. That is everything from me this week. You can join me next time for the final episode of Series 3. Bye! Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.